Chapter 33 The return of Jack Wagon was not an enjoyable event for the crew. Those few that knew him before his unlegging noted a distinct new level of irascibility, and for those who had never known him at all, lessons were quickly learned of the barking giant and his run of the ship. No slackery escaped his gaze and no slinking buttock long evaded his boot. His ability to kick while standing on a mechanical wooden leg was a rare feat of determination that Jack had set himself to at the first opportunity. After a week, he had mastered it entirely. He discovered, however, that the creaky hinge of his new knee was a shirker's best friend. The creak and clomp that heralded his coming chased off any determined sluggard long before he could be effectively motivated. This prompted Jack to procure a bladder of teak oil, which he slung from his shoulder and carried with him wherever he went, so he could quiet his creak at a moment's pause. Managing his clomp, however, was a livelier challenge, much to the relief of the crew. After a few days of Jack's motivation, Finn appreciated a clear new vision of how clean, tight, and orderly a ship could run under the proper observance. Topper hadn't done a poor job exactly, but Jack's talent for forced motivation was a thing few other men could achieve. Topper resumed his jovial old habits of dickering food from the galley and snoozing in unwatched corners as oft as he could get away with it. He seemed happy that the world had returned to an even keel. At Finn's insistence, Jack presented himself to Dr. Thiggum to offer an apology. But Jack first had to make solemn assurances to him that he didn't intend to visit any more violence upon the poor man. After some convincing, the doctor emerged from his stowage locker to be apologized to, though even after the apology, the doctor still seemed ready to flee as if the whole affair were a ruse meant only to draw him out into the open. After all his predictions that Jack was going to die, he deserved some grief, so Finn did nothing to calm his fears and was instead content to keep him terrified for her own amusement. She did permit him out of his infirmary at last, though, keeping good on her promise that he would not see the sun until Jack was mended. When he first peeked out onto the deck, he darted back into the hold like a scared rat to let his eyes adjust, before daring again the long unseen light. He was nearly as blind as a mole, and it would be hours before he could re-enter the world above. Suspicions of the thief aboard died down briefly while Jack's ascendancy took hold. But after a week, the matter re-emerged and haunted the conversation of the men. Little things were found missing, curios, trinkets, keepsakes. Not often, perhaps once a day, someone would complain of a misplaced item, and just so often it would later be found. Suspicion has a way of tainting even the most innocent situations, and soon everything not in immediate sight was suspect of having been stolen, even if it had simply been misplaced or borrowed in good faith. Jack stewed over the issue and was determined to find the scoundrel at fault. Finn told him of her threat to the men and the consequences the man would win, and Jack agreed. He'll wear the mark of the lash, he said. Finn had not changed in her conviction that shredding a man's flesh was sickening to her. She knew Jack and Armand were right. She knew that a real captain would follow through on his sentence, but she was not a real captain. When at last the weather showed signs of lifting, Jack creak-clomped his way into the cabin and slammed the door shut behind him. We got the bugger, he said. Found him in the lower starboard hold sleeping behind the beans. Made himself a little hooch to live in. Stacked up sacks like bricks. Had him a bag full of what all's gone missing. Didn't even try to explain himself. 
Armand opened the door and slunk in. Who was it? A jagged stone sunk in the pit of Finn's stomach. It don't matter who it is, he's a thief. Was Sam Ketcher what rooted him out? I ain't been down to see for myself yet. So what now? Finn asked. Armand approached her like a stalking cat. You must do as you said, Cherie. You must deliver him the lash. If you withhold it, then you will lose the crew. You must act. He was almost whispering again. We got to sound the captain's mast, said Jack. He's right, Button. It's a dirty thing, but it's the way of it. Armand locked his eyes onto her like an animal sensing the weakness of its prey. Do it, she answered, and Armand smiled. Muster the crew in an hour. It is the only way, Cherie. Finn wasn't so sure. Armand wouldn't be happy about what she was going to do, but he would have to live with it. He wanted her to be a monster, but she knew that despite what he said, it wasn't the only way. She would do it her way, like she always had. The next hours stretched out until Finn thought it would never end. She despised having to put herself on the stage and play a part, and she hated being the focus of attention among a crew of eighty. But there was no way around it. She pulled on one of Creech's old frock coats and dressed to look official. Brass buttons, tasseled epaulets, stiff collar, all lies. She wore tan's rapier and kept Betsy at her waist to look fearsome. Another lie. She pulled her hair back to look neat and proper. Yet another lie. She stood in front of the mirror and wondered how she'd come to this point. She tried to console herself with memories of Peter, hopes of homecoming, and the desire to once again live a simple life. She reminded herself that she only had to endure such things a while longer. Her hands trembled as she pulled open the gear locker in the corner of the room. Inside it were the tools of a captain, an astrolabe, dividers, sea charts, star charts, an old oar, a tricorn hat, two spyglasses, one broken, one new, and a bandolier of shot and powder. Her hands moved across the items, touching each briefly, as if noting its position and angle, until at last she stopped at the instrument she'd come for, the cat of nine tails. She took it. Its tethers were stained dark with blood at the ends. Small bits of glass, rock, bone, and metal were twisted and tied into the end of each strap. Her shoulder blades twitched in memory of the pain she'd borne to protect Nut from this same tool of authority. With a shudder, she realized that the blood staining it was her own. A wave of abhorrence washed through her, and she involuntarily dropped the lash to the ground. She was close to tears and cursed herself in a whisper. The last thing she wanted was to appear on deck looking weak, like a crying girl. She ground her teeth together and picked it up. She didn't need to fear the weapon. She wasn't going to use it. She would show mercy. She was not a monster. When the hour had finally gone, Jack found her sitting in the dark, considering the lash on the table before her. It's time, Button. His voice betrayed worry, and not for the man about to receive sentence. Finn stood, straightening her coat and checked her appearance in the mirror. He's strapped to the mast. All you have to do is... He dropped his eyes and didn't finish. Finn plucked the lash from the table and nodded. 
She knew what she had to do and was ready to get it over with. Jack turned and left as she walked to the door. Outside, the sounds of the crew jeering the thief and cursing him were cut off by Jack's reappearance on deck. Captain on deck, shouted Jack with a stomp of his foot. The world was quiet. Even the wind and the waves seemed to hush. Tied to the mast was a skinny whelp of a man. His back was shirtless and toward her. His arms were drawn high and bound to the mast. He didn't move. He simply hung where he was placed and awaited his torment. His head lolled beside the mast and he didn't look up. He didn't speak, tremble, or even seem to breathe. Finn could scarcely stomach it. The lash in her hand felt like it was growing heavier by the moment. With every step, it seemed to double in weight. A few more steps and she feared she might drop it and look like a fool. Thievery has no place aboard the Fiddler's Green, she said. She tried to sound authoritative but failed to convince even herself. This ship, this crew, and your safe return all depend on your trust in the man beside you. Thievery betrays that trust and will not be tolerated. Several men hooted in approval and were eyed into silence by Jack. Does the thief wish to say anything before his sentence is carried out? If he could offer a convincing retraction of his ways, it would certainly work to her favor. But the man didn't move or speak. He ain't said a word, Captain, explained Jack. Finn inched forward and called out to the man, determined to have words out of him. Speak up, sailor. Wasn't he scared? But for the shallow rise and fall of his chest, she'd have thought him dead. Captain's talking, growled Jack. Answer your better, dog. On the other side of the mast, Armand stooped down to look at the man in the face. He spoke in a harsh whisper that Finn hated. Speak to your captain, and she may withhold the lash, he said, grinning and malevolent. The man raised his head briefly, as if in consideration, but dropped it again without speaking. Finn walked around the mast so she could look him in the eye. He hung his head and held his silence. She addressed him in a calm whisper that the crew watching couldn't hear. Speak, sailor. I don't want to do this any more than you want it done. When he still didn't answer, Armand turned to her. Do it, Cherie. You must keep your word. You must do it. Armand sickened her. He was enjoying it. He was looking forward to seeing the man in pain. Why won't you speak? She asked him. Answer your captain, hissed Armand. And with gleeful cruelty, he grabbed the hair at the back of the man's head and jerked it downward, forcing his face up to Finn. The man's eyes stared up, eerily familiar, then shifted down away from her. It was Phineas Button. Finn recoiled. She studied his face, hoping to find the features had changed, that they no longer mirrored her own. But their answer was the same. The man was her father. Part of her wanted to bend down and touch him, wanted to reach out and confirm their kinship with an embrace, but he hung before her in apathy. Lice wriggled across his scalp. He stank. He coughed once and spat, but didn't speak. He wouldn't even look at her. Finn wrinkled her nose in disgust. A fountain of revulsion welled within her. The hate she'd felt when she first saw him returned. Oh, God, why him? A spasm of vertigo racked her. 
Finn staggered against the impossibility she was confronted with. It was impossible that he was here on the Fiddler's Green when Armand had put him ashore. It was impossible, impossible that this man who'd made her and abandoned her had found his way through the world to hang before her in judgment. And yet here he hung, matted hair, liar's eyes, and a thief's indifference. Somewhere outside her small sphere of focus, she heard the wicked cackle of Armand. Ha <laughs> ha, you must do it, Cherie. But his words compelled no action. They didn't have to. The raw anger inside her lightened the weight of the lash and her arm held it high and ready. Her actions didn't seem her own. She no longer controlled her own limbs. Hatred did. The appearance of the pitiful man before her kindled something terrible in her heart and she burned with it. Armand urged her again, and she watched as the lash fell. Some weak thing, deep inside Finn's mind, cried out and recoiled in horror, but it was overwhelmed by the greater part of herself that was livid with rage. The scourge carved a cruel gouge across the flesh that had given her life. Rivers of blood ran across his back, the same blood that flowed through her veins. Finn trembled with satisfaction. Again. And again and again her arm wielded torment. Blood flew. Flesh hung from the lash. The ribbons on Phineas Button's back grew longer, deeper, wider. The only sound she could pick out of the air was that of Armand's laughter. But where were the screams, the howls of agony, the pleadings for mercy? There were none. Phineas Button bore the lash in silence, denying her the admission of his pain. Again and again the lash flew out, again and again reaping its scarlet harvest. Blood spattered her face. It ran like tears. She tasted it in her mouth like vinegar. She wanted to hear him scream. Not him. Oh God, not him. He is not a part of me. Jack grabbed at her. She dodged him and delivered another stroke, spitting a curse at Jack for trying to stop her and another at the bloodied carnage of a man hanging from the mainmast. "'Enough!' shouted Jack. He wrenched the lash from her hand. Finn spun on him and tried to snatch it back. Until Phineas Button screamed for mercy, she was not finished. She couldn't explain her anger and couldn't rationalize her actions, but she convinced herself that she needed him to admit agony. But even as the thought formed in her mind, she knew she was lying to herself. She didn't need it. She wanted it. She wanted him to cry out, to scream, to hurt. She advanced on Jack, trying to get the lash from him. He put out a hand and shoved her backward. The push knocked Finn off her feet and she tumbled against the rail. Her anger turned on Jack, and she drew Betsy as she jumped to her feet. Jack's eyes narrowed into a warning. The crew watched in bewildered silence. She saw Nut crouched at the rail near the forecastle, with his head held between his hands. His mouth was pulled open and his eyes were squeezed shut. He was wailing softly. And then, like a frightened animal coaxed out of its hollow, Finn became herself again. She lowered the gun to her side and looked on the horror she'd worked. Phineas Button hung before her, his body torn, his blood spreading across the deck. Finn shouted for the doctor and walked off the quarterdeck. In her quarters, she froze in front of the mirror. 
She was covered in nearly as much blood as the man who had bled it. Her hair was caked with it. Her eyes gleamed eerie white out of a sea of red. Tears came. They washed down her face in white rivulets. Hilda's voice. What have you done? Finn wrestled herself out of Creech's coat and hurled it across the room. Sobbing, she poured water into the basin and tried to scrub herself clean. Soon the water was red as blood. She threw it out and filled the basin again. She had to change the water twice more before she recognized her face in the mirror. When she turned around and collapsed into a chair at the table, Jack was standing in the doorway. What in all bloody hell was that? I don't know, she answered. Well, I doubt there'll be any more thieving. Leave me alone. Jack opened his mouth to speak, but thought better of it. As he shut the door behind him, Finn got up and dropped the shade on the portal, then blew out the lamp. The darkness was complete. The next morning, Dr. Thiggum reported to Finn's quarters at her summoning. He shuffled inside with timid glances around the room and wrung his hands. Finn sat in the shadows of the cabin, scrubbing her hands with a stiff brush. She could no longer tell if they were bloodstained or merely red from her own scouring, but she didn't stop. When Dr. Thiggum cleared his throat to announce himself, she spoke without looking up. I want him brought here, doctor. He mustn't be moved, Captain. If he's moved too soon, he will surely... Enough, Thiggum. Move him into my quarters and I will tend him. But, Captain... He bounced back and forth on his feet and wrung his hands furiously. That's all, doctor. If I need anything else, I'll be sure to ask. Thiggum fidgeted a moment longer, then shuffled out the door to comply. Minutes later, Topper and a group of sailors carried Phineas Button through the door and arranged him gently on the cot in the corner of the cabin. He was unconscious, and they laid him on his chest with his head turned to face the room. Bandages covered his back and both arms to the elbows. In spots, blood soaked through the dressings where the wounds had been disturbed during the transport. Finn ordered everyone out of the room and told Topper to have fresh dressings brought. When the dressings arrived, she dismissed Topper, then pulled a chair from the table and sat next to the cot. She was thankful that he was unconscious. She had no idea what she might say to him if he were awake. Finn bent over him and touched his face lightly. High cheekbones, pointed and upturned nose, even freckles. Their likeness was clear. Gray had long since chased most of the red from his hair, but traces of it remained. Finn unwrapped his bloodied dressings and tossed them in a pile near the door. His flesh was thatched and gouged and thinly scabbed over. She dabbed at the bleeding areas with a clean sponge and then rewrapped him in fresh white dressings. When she finished, she lifted his head and turned his face to the wall. His face made her uncomfortable, and she couldn't stand the thought that he might open his eyes and see her. During the night, she lay awake, deviled by the memory of what she had done. She recalled Armand, recalled how he'd enjoyed it, how he'd urged her to it. He'd known the man was her father, and still he'd pressed her. Jack knew nothing of the man, but Armand, Armand should have warned her. She sent for him the next morning, and he swaggered in, wearing a filthy grin. He was proud of himself, or proud of her. She didn't know which she would despise him for more. 
Why didn't you stop me? She asked as he sat down. Do you think I could have, Sherry? Stop calling me that. He leaned closer to her and lowered his voice. Do you believe that anything could have stopped you? Finn turned her head away and ground her teeth. Now your power over men is absolute. They will die for you. You have become their fear. You should thank me, Sherry. You will need their help before the end. The blood of a man you hate is a petty price to pay for such a thing. Even if that man is my own father? Especially if he is your father. His grin was gone. His voice was low, steady, and certain. What does it matter? It is done. I won't be like you, Armand. I will not become a monster. His response was barely audible. Ah, but you already are, Sherry. You already are. Don't call me that. Her voice barely managed a reply at all. The words escaped her like a leper's groan. He bowed his head in assent. As you wish, mon capitaine. Get out. How did he always manage to make sense? He was right, wasn't he? She'd only done what was necessary, nothing more. The crew would think her weak had she not. Armand always made sense, but she always felt uneasy when she listened to him. Finn couldn't see the end of the road he was steering her down, but she began to fear that no map could lead her back. <laughs>